Hi, and welcome to Navigate, the travel podcast by World Travel Protection. I'm your host, Alex Laylor, Technical Product Director. Well, with the return to international travel, it is more important than ever to be well informed of potential risks and ensuring we all have a safe trip. But it takes more than a Google search or studying some travel guides to have the right information. That leads us to making more informed decisions. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Manu Skansani from Riskline, a world-class travel risk intelligence company, to share what information is available to travellers today. Hi Manu, would you be able to give us a bit of context around the number of alerts that Riskline is generating per day and what this looked like over the last 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I think like uh, before the pandemic, we used to write, uh, you know, an approximation of like 60 alerts per day. Uh, This would greatly depend on like how busy the day is. There are days that uh, in in the life of an analyst are extremely busy with things happening all over the world and others that uh, fortunately for the world are maybe more quiet. Um, but I think this number has like become more close uh, to 90. I mean, in in, in these last uh, couple of years, and I think like in 2021 we brought nearly 33,000 alerts, and uh, and the number has been steadily increasing over the last uh, five years. So this is like reflecting like uh, us growing as a team of analysts, and also like uh, the analysts getting uh, really good in like tracking what needs to be tracked. And that's including updating. Um, alerts as well, would it be? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, uh, this include the updates, like uh, the alerts could be like a, a, a one-off alert about something, but of course there are many alerts that are about maybe uh, a situation that evolves and requires, besides an initial alert, many other updates that will kind of track whatever is happening. How do you uh, determine which alerts uh, that you post and uh, in which ones you, I suppose, uh, you know, you hold back as they may not be as relevant? How do you make that determination? Uh, Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, there is one element that we are looking at, whether that incident is going to disrupt the travel in a significant way. Like, for example, uh, delays of 30 minutes of flights uh, here and there in an airport is probably something normal, but like widespread delays to every flight of many hours is not something normal. Uh, or anything that could harm uh, potentially or uh, through an actual risk a traveler. So whenever one of these two is happening or is possible, we will deem the alert necessary and write it. Great. How do you prepare travelers uh, for uh, for traveling? Um, with the alerts, do you provide um, information of situations that you know about in the future, maybe that aren't necessarily impacting right now? There are fundamentally two types of alerts that uh, we are building. Uh, I would say the most common type is what we call reactive alerts. So they will probably represent uh, a large portion, a majority of the alerts. Essentially, when something is happening, you can imagine a a terrorist attack or a, or an earthquake or a, uh, suddenly the announcement of a transportation strike, we will try to write an alert. Of course, something that is a breaking news type of event like a terrorist attack would deem a much higher priority than, say, a transportation strike. That is the type of reactive alert. Something is happening, we write an alert. We cover it. Okay, We got you covered. We cover something that is happening. However, there is a significant amount of alerts that are predictive in nature. 
So while it is important for uh, travelers to receive a reactive approach with information, it's also crucial that us as a travel risk intelligence partner, we provide information that is predictive. Uh, predictive means we will know through our uh, media monitoring activities uh, about uh, events that will happen, that will take place uh, at a future date, whether it is uh, a general election that could maybe bring some unrest in a country or uh, maybe more than one country, or it is a, 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 a demonstration or it is maybe a, a, a transportation strike or something like that, we will write the alert before that event takes place. So the traveler who received the alert will have time to prepare, to take uh, that into account whenever he or she is preparing for the travel. Yeah, great. And just going back to the alerts, um, I know that alerts come with a severity rating and usually a categorization. Um, so maybe you could touch on those. Um, how do you determine the severity of an event um, when it's being posted out? And how do you categorize it or what categories are you uh, covering in these alerts that you're uh, generating? Yeah, so I mean, when we are uh, writing the alerts, the, the, the critical aspect, other than writing the alert itself, verifying the sources, like I mentioned, is like doing the risk assessment. Every alert has its own risk assessment. Uh, to do so, we are following a security risk analysis methodology, which is applied to travel risks, obviously. So uh, the first aspect is to, uh, you know, basically pick a risk in a scale from one to five. So understanding whether it is a, a low risk or it is an extreme risk or any of the other uh, levels in between. There are five uh, risk levels. Um, to do so, we are using obviously a matrix that is based on an intersection between uh, you know, the likelihood that a specific event might happen and the impact that that event would have if uh, indeed was happening. And so this would lead to uh, the selection of the risk level. At the same time, we have the selection of a category. An alert can belong to one category only and as well can have one risk level only. There are seven categories that reflect, I would say, uh, type of risks that a traveler could face. And uh, for example, we have uh, alerts that are uh, related to political developments. So you could imagine things like, uh, uh, you know, the run up to an election or the immediately aftermath of an election, particularly in a country that is not so stable politically, um, or maybe a coup or uh, something uh, that could relate to a significant change in the political system of a country that does not necessarily happen peacefully. Um, another category is conflict and terrorism. So we will be covering basically something that could uh, be related to either international or, or, or civil conflict, uh, or of course being an incident of, uh, of terrorism. Um, another category is related to demonstrations, so really anything where like uh, a traveler in a, in a city area uh, maybe risk to get caught in a, in, a, in a large volume of people who are demonstrating, regardless of what the cause might be. As well, this category is also maybe uh, covering what the potential response by police forces or, or the army is with regards to the type of uh, unrest they are facing. Um, there are alerts also about crime. So anything that is crime-related, however, I will probably need to clarify here that when we are writing alerts about crime, 
we are really thinking about crime that has a relevance for foreign travelers. So every country worldwide has, you know, volumes of crimes that can change depending on a number of factors. But like what we are really paying attention to is like those crimes that a foreign traveler would want to know. So if you take the example of Thailand, for example, we would want to know, um, for example, any type of crime, even smaller ones, but that they have a, a potentially relevant impact on foreign travelers to the country. Another category are uh, natural and environmental type of alerts. So it will be anything from like a, a tropical storm to an earthquake, to a, a tsunami, to a volcanic eruption. So every, anything that is like uh, having a natural uh, hazards type of component. Uh, the sixth category is like health risk. And as you would expect, this is like, um, the largest type of uh, alerts we have been writing in 2020 and 2021 because of, you know, the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, obviously. Um, the last category is like what we call travel safety and disruptions. And it is more like a, a, a macro category to mostly cover two type of, uh, of situations. Um, the first being like everything related to disruptions uh, to travel maybe because of a transportation strike or uh, any infrastructural uh, problem that would affect negatively the transportation. And the other will be like uh, breaking news type of events. For example, uh, a terrorist attack on the first alert that is being written before it is established that it is a terrorist attack, we would probably rate it as a travel safety and disruptions type of alert. Thanks. Manu from Travel Risk Intelligence Company, Riskline. So having this information is one piece of the puzzle. Joining me now to cover how this information can be analysed, turned into actionable intelligence that enables safe travel, is Paul Trotter. Paul is a former intelligence officer with over 15 years' experience in complex operating environments. Using his background in intelligence collection and assessment, Paul is now based in Brisbane, and he supports the World Travel Protection global effort for direction, collection, and assessment of intelligence used to inform our operations team and support our clients. So thanks, Paul. Just in regards to intelligence, you know there's obviously a high level of information that comes through, and we get an understanding of an event that's happening, but how does that become intelligence that is utilized? So intelligence is essentially still information, but it's information that's been refined by an individual who's specifically trained and, and understands the processes. Um, so detailed analysis and assessment of, of any information is essential in understanding how that actually impacts on the individual, uh, the activity they're going to be undertaking, uh, or the environment they're going to be operating in. So when we receive uh, a piece of information, uh, we'll take that and we look at it in concert with everything else that's happening at the time, historical information, uh, examples of what's previously occurred, uh, and then we'll, we'll actually develop a proactive assessment um, that based off uh, the likelihood of occurrence, uh, how likely that thing is to occur, uh, what impact that's likely to have. Uh, and from that, we can then provide things like recommendations and advice on, on how to avoid or reduce uh, risks and threats within the environment, uh, whether they're specifically related to the initial report or whether it's things like second and third order events, which are essentially things that... Uh, perhaps wouldn't be the most obvious um, influencing factor, uh, but they're definitely something that's, you know, tangentially linked 
and at times can actually be a more significant risk than the initial event. Great. So if, if we look at a recent example uh, of an alert that came through recently in Haiti and uh, it came through and it indicated that there was going to be fuel shortages and there were going to be protests uh, that came from that, um, what would you do with, um, what would be your process, I suppose, from uh, receiving that information, so that high level alert, and what would you then, what would be the process you would take um, to turn that into um, meaningful intelligence? Sure. Haiti is actually a really good example, um, particularly this, this specific incident, um, just because it does demonstrate perfectly the, the second and third order effects. So essentially what happened was there was a reduction in fuel supply in Haiti uh, created by the US sanctions on Venezuela. Um, so already we're looking at a, a second order effect there. Uh, but what we were seeing a lot of in, in Haiti at the time was uh, protests and petty criminality surrounding the uh, the fuel issues, and that was mostly localized around areas that uh, were responsible for for fuel supply on a sort of a larger scale rather than smaller petrol stations. Uh, but in certain areas of the capital, uh, we were also seeing an increase in criminality towards things like uh, fuel transport and fuel supply between uh, the port and various petrol stations or gas stations. Uh, so immediately there's already sort of those second and third order effects. So what we actually did with that was take the information that we initially received that there's likely to be protests because of the fuel shortage and start to look at where those protests were occurring, um, tracking multiple reports across uh, the geographic area, and then looking at things like those criminal events targeting those trucks. Uh, and we sort of drilled down that, Criminal gangs were getting more and more bold within the area. Uh, historically, when we've seen criminal gangs start to organize and, and get more bold like that, we've also seen an increase in attacks that target not just things like fuel supply um, or, or whatever the specific target is at the time, but more towards things like expats, uh, which is naturally a, a big problem uh, as far as we're concerned. Um, so we started to look at things like an increase in the probability of kidnap for ransom attacks. Um, as a result of that, we, we actually pre-predicted uh, an increase in uh, kidnap events, uh, including um, those targeting things like missionaries and the like. Uh, and if, if you remember, there was actually 16 missionaries kidnapped in Haiti, um, and that, that occurred about a week, two weeks after uh, we actually did this initial assessment. Okay, so it's not just the uh, the initial alert of just there being uh, no fuel and obviously protesting. It, it does go a lot deeper. Then it becomes like security threats are on top of that now as well, which may not necessarily be highlighted in uh, in an initial alert. Exactly right, and that's essentially the key to intelligence: is always asking the so what, uh, how does this affect me? Why does it affect me? Um, you know, what impact is it going to have on my business or my safety or my ability to operate? Uh, and if sort of the information isn't providing that question, that's when uh, professional intelligence personnel are, are really able to support a business. Um, and it isn't just specifically safety and security things either. It's things like uh, business continuity and, and uh, crisis planning, uh, you know, reputational management, all sorts of sort of areas that perhaps aren't traditionally um, areas that you sort of associate with intelligence support, but definitely 
areas that can benefit from it. Great. And for organizations and, and travelers, if they're reviewing uh, intelligence, um, what do you suggest are the three or let's say the top three things that they should be looking for in an intelligence report? So the first thing is that it should definitely be bespoke and tailored to the specific need. Uh, having a generic intelligence report doesn't provide value to the individual or the organization because it doesn't factor in their specific needs. Um, again, sort of the, the the real issue there is that threat picture changes or you know the, the impacts change based off different factors like gender or uh, sexual orientation, um, ethnicity, religion, all those kind of things. It, they increase or decrease your threat profile based on the specific environment and, and the, the culture and everything else that you're going into. So being bespoke is sort of the, the very key one. The next one is focusing on the actual assessment and seeing if it, it answers a question that's specific to you. If that report or that briefing or the advice that you get doesn't have a specific so what, and that is you know a, a predictive assessment on how the environment or the the activity, the event um, is going to impact on you, then it's not answering the specific question and it is just very broad information at that point. Uh, the final thing is that they should always be able to question and challenge the uh, the report or the brief or the, you know, the individual that's produced it and that individual should be able to defend what they've provided at all times and provide continuous clear examples of how that's going to affect and why they should be able to essentially, to, to borrow from my high school maths teacher, show they're working. <laughs> great, yes. Um, well, thanks, Paul. That's that's a great insight and things uh, and items for uh, organisations and individuals to look out for. Um, there's a lot of events happening at the moment. Um, you're obviously in intelligence. Uh, what do you think are some of the things that are going to become quite prominent over the next few weeks, months um, in the uh, global landscape? Uh, short term, I don't think we're going to see any major changes. Um, but over sort of the, the moderate to long term, as we start to go back to travel, we're going to see an increase in things like localised crime, um, particularly targeting business travellers and tourist travellers. Uh, but it's going to be in more atypical areas than what we've seen historically or sort of pre-2019 um, so whereas previously you might have expected to maybe be uh, pickpocketed or extorted in a, uh, a tourist area, um, that's sort of going to broaden out a lot and it's going to be in more countries than uh, what we've historically seen as well. And that's purely down to the economic impacts that the uh, pandemic has had uh, globally on not only businesses being forced to shut down, but also the individuals, as well as things like increased costs due to supply chains. The uh, the other big one is uh, politically motivated violence and, and uh, extremism. Um, the rise of things like the influence of uh, conspiracy theories was was very predictable uh, at the start of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, typically, these kind of things are driven by a loss of uh, control or a sense that that individuals have lost control. And what they they'll, they'll generally start to do it's a natural human reaction is look for someone else to blame. Uh, and as we've seen, that's given a, a huge rise in conspiracy theories and, and uh, things like QAnon, uh, COVID mandate resistance, um, COVID vaccine resistance, uh, belief that uh, you know uh, Bill Gates is trying to put 
microchips in people's heads to control them. Um, all those kind of things are, are a natural byproduct of a loss of control and they don't necessarily get turned off just because the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has sort of drawn to a, a, a relative close in a lot of people's minds. Um, and it's at the same time that's that's really started coming to a head with uh, political tribalism that's that's spreading and there's a big rift now as we've all seen between uh, progressive and conservative politics and the whole issue is being politicised and individuals are being driven to um, sort of any, anything from protesting where they normally wouldn't right through to things like actual violent response, um, which we've just recently seen in, in Buffalo, New York, where, you know, an individual's belief in a conspiracy theory has uh, led to the, you know, the deaths of 10 or so people. Yeah, that's a good reminder. And we're starting to see those secondary and tertiary effects of the pandemic taking place. And no doubt we'll probably see them evolve for a while yet to come. So thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Navigate, the travel risk podcast by World Travel Protection. To stay current on our latest episodes, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. You can also visit our podcast page, which is linked in the show notes to review the previous episodes and access transcripts. That's it for now. Safe travels. Goodbye.